As we turn our mind to uh, the text of Scripture this morning, uh, 2 Corinthians 12, no doubt a familiar passage, perhaps one that you have heard at some other occasion, uh, specifically thinking about boasting in our weaknesses. Now, if you had to think about the number one thing that you'd really like to boast about, uh, would you really say, hey, make me the weakest person in the room so that I can exalt God? You often do not do that, do you? So this is somewhat of a paradoxical moment for Paul in the life of, of, of the Corinthians church because he's trying to explain something that is of extreme value. But notice, just recall just for a moment, if you would, the, the people um, that he's speaking to. People who were filled with a level of divisiveness in their church. You can recall various elements of First and Second Corinthians. Division in the church. People that would have various gifts and abilities that would somewhat exalt themselves and say, hey, look at me. Paul had to challenge them at a a variety of different levels. And I think he he knew that that the people of Corinth, and, and God obviously knew by way of inspiration and sufficiency of the Scripture, that we would need this message as well. But these moments of paradox, of weakness and strength, I think often occur all throughout the Bible. But one moment that I think it happens is in the level of David and Goliath. You remember this story? I remember it well when I was a young, when I was a young uh, kid in junior church. Watching uh, when I was so small, having someone put another person on top of their shoulders to try to get the height, uh, the height of who Goliath was. But, but think about the story for a moment. I mean, what is the paradox even in this story that, that God demonstrates all throughout Old and New Testament? All of a sudden you have this gigantic feat of this huge Philistine warrior, and all of a sudden, here's the paradox. You should have a king, King Saul, who would be willing to at least say, hey, I'll engage. He stood head and shoulders above the rest. And yet, Paul, as Saul says, can we find a man who will fight this giant? And in comes this little shepherd boy. Now, of course, we don't want to rehearse the whole story, but think about it. Of all the things that God could do to demonstrate the power of who he was to a people who had melted in fear by this giant who would come out day after day and would taunt them. And in walks David, this small shepherd boy with a sling and stones. And I think what we walk away with the story is when, when David says, my God can defeat you. And the paradox is, is here David is even expressing and modeling by God's divine authority. Guess what? Don't look at the outside because there can be something on the inside that is far stronger than what appears on the outside. And I think that was true for Paul in his ministry and his ministry life. Here in the setting of 2 Corinthians, although Paul had to face many different challenges in the life of the Corinthian church, one of the main reasons why the subject of boasting comes out is because there are people in the story who decided to influence the Corinthian church and boast about their visions, about their successes. And here is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians uh, verse 11. We can back up before we get to our text. He says, and what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claims of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false prophets, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. 
And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. And you fast forward very to the, to the end of this, and Paul says this, If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Now here Paul faces a, a dilemma within the Corinthian church. And here, here's what it was. Paul calls these people. We don't have a, a great understanding of who, who all of they were. We have some understanding based upon the context of the Corinthian church. But what Paul calls the super apostles. I mean, this is what you want to be labeled as. The super apostle. Paul says, these guys aren't super. They're false. They're deceitful workers. In fact, they even disguise themselves and are trying to lead you astray. And Paul says they're boasting about visions and all of the things and successes of their ministry. Oh, he says, I hate to do this, but I'm going to have to. And what I'm about to do, he even, he even precursors with, with this. Oh, you're going to see me be a fool. But bear with me for a moment as I become foolish as these men are, so that by the end we can boast in the one that should be boasted about. That's really what's going on. And all of this, he comes to us and says, this is an important topic because if we boast in ourself, something is going to go wrong within our spirituality. We can see this well when we take accounts of things in Jesus' ministry, like in Luke, when it's, it, Jesus tells this parable. He said, to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself, he prayed this, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He says, I tell you this, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. As we look into our life this morning, one of the things I would encourage you to grab from this text One of the main points that Paul is trying to express is that God intends for Christians to be portraits of God's power within a framework of frailty. That's what he wants from us. See, that's so opposite than the culture has to say about power and strength. If you had to describe powerful people, would you come out with a description of someone weak? You wouldn't really. You would describe some CEO of some Fortune 500 company who has seemed to have everything going for him. You don't tend to look at the guy who's, no one really knows who he is. You don't really know what he's doing, but he's serving the Lord faithfully in the pocket of the world that God has placed him in for the glory of God and his boasting and his weakness. This is what God intends for us. To be pictures of his power in a framework of frailty. That's us. If we don't grab a hold of this, we're going to struggle because the one thing God hates the most is pride. 
And it's pride that keeps us from recognition of our frail condition as human beings in this world. And all of a sudden, we begin to start trusting in ourselves. Oh, and brothers and sisters, this is so dangerous. The moment you think you have it all together, the Lord shows you otherwise. I'm so fascinated by watching the weaknesses of people pour out the power and strength of the living God. It happened this week for me, even just yesterday. I was on the phone uh, with Debbie Bush talking uh, with her about Joe's condition. Surprisingly, that uh, as he's in the hospital struggling a little bit more difficult, in a difficult way than was expected. And I was able to, to not be able to call him because he was so weak in his own frailty in the hospital, he couldn't speak very much. So I was just able to text him the prayer that I would have prayed and the, and the scripture that I would have prayed if I would have been there with him. And I thought, well, I don't expect anything return. This is what I got in return from him. Joe said to me in the text, though he slays me, yet will I serve him. God gives and God takes. Blessed be the precious name of God. God is holding and loving me with his strength, and I thank him. Give thanks in everything and give God your all. That is God's power in the midst of a framework of frailty. It's occurring right here in this body and various people who for a variety of reasons God has called us to be weak people to display the power of the living God. And as we get into a passage that we have today, I think it's important we could, we could frame it up in all kinds of different ways. But if we said, hey, look at Paul. Look how Paul does this. Look how Paul does that. I think we would be doing something that Paul, we would get done and Paul would say, why did you exalt me? I think he'd be, he would have a problem with that. So here's kind of how I want to lay out this text. It's God's concern for Paul. It's God's care for Paul and God's character development of Paul. So that at the end of the story of all of these things that occur, that we could say, you know what? It's God that's doing the work. It's God that's making sure that all these things are happening, and he gets all the glory. That's what we desire. That's what Paul desires. Here's a couple of questions that I want, I think, that are important for for us as we journey through this text together in 2 Corinthians 12, and we'll read it here in a moment. We are going to read it in our scripture reading, uh, but we'll we'll read it briefly together here. And and here's, here's three questions. One, to answer of the text. How does God take weak people and make them strong? That's one question we ought to answer out of this text. How does he do that? There's something practically that we should be taking away from this in our lives to say God does something with the weak that they couldn't do for themselves, produce something that brings him glory. That's, that's his whole point. So how does he do that? Number two, how does he actually help us as believers assess what's really going on inside? So that we can be sure that it isn't pride that's inside our heart, that it's something that is far greater and more pleasing in God's sight. And lastly, it's this. What is truly at stake if we don't embrace this kind of weakness mentality? And as we walk through this text of Scripture, we'll come back to these at the end because I, I, I hope to, that we'll be able to answer these. Uh, Paul answers these by his understanding and, and walking us through this text. But look with me, if you would, 2 Corinthians 12. Let's read these. Brief 10 verses. Paul says, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. 
I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven. Whether in body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that couldn't, cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my, my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think me more than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from, from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from the becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, notice this. As we walk through, here's our first point this morning. God's concern for Paul. Paul, could you imagine, was this, if you could talk about a super apostle, I think if we could describe the apostle of, of, uh, of Paul, wouldn't you want to have been with this man on his missionary journeys to see what God was accomplishing through him? I mean, here you have a man, by the way, who always, he never really traveled alone, he always traveled with people. Could you imagine sitting around a fire with this kind of guy, talking about ministry, I have much, uh, many of my brothers who are in ministry, we get to talk ministry shop all the time. Okay? Just like you love to talk about what you do in your job, when my brothers and I get together, we get to talk about ministry and see what God is doing in the lives of the various churches uh, that we care for. Could you imagine, oh, God is doing this, and oh, God is doing this, or you might say, well, hey, how do you approach this, and hey, well, I've done this, and this seemed to work. And then you got a guy like Paul sitting around the fire going, I've been to paradise. What do you guys got? I mean, you think about the level of humility that it must have taken for the Apostle Paul to sit around with a group of ministry individuals, Christians who were newly saved, and say, you just, don't, you just don't get it. Paul was in danger of, of all of a sudden becoming prideful, and in the midst of this, God con was concerned so much for Paul that he does this. He said, So from keeping me from being conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of revelation, a thorn was given me in the flesh. Now, I kind of wonder to myself as I, as I walk through this particular text to think to myself, if prior to the paradise vision, Paul knew that the subsequent reality was the thorn in the flesh, would he would say, hey, I don't want to go on the journey. Like, don't take me there because I don't want to have to deal with this. Because I want you to notice something, okay, specifically that answers this question of the text. How long had the thorn been there? 
Well, according to Paul's rehearsing of the story, he's connecting through the verses to say, it was the time when I was giving a surpassing greatness of revelation in paradise that God saw fit to give me a thorn in the flesh. These are absolutely connected, which means Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 is saying, a man some 14 years prior had a vision of paradise, of the exalted throne of God, and all of a sudden words that man could not even utter. And then, in subsequent fashion, God says, I, have, I need to give you this so that you are not exalting yourself, but you continue to exalt me. Now, here, here's what this tells us, okay? Paul didn't just receive the vision while he was writing the, the Corinthian church. Paul had been living with the thorn in the flesh for years at this point. Years. You know, oftentimes when we think about our weaknesses, we think, uh, and the pain and, and all the hurt and sorrow that we, ex- that we experience in this life. And you know what I hear in the counseling room? Here is what I hear. How long will it take for this to go away? Do you realize that sometimes God's answer to that pain is never here on earth? But yes, in heaven. But as you journey here, you're going to, you're going to experience a level of weakness. I think this really challenges us when we think about our own perseverance in our Christian walk, doesn't it? Because we would love to say, okay, God, if you could give me a framework, okay, it'll go on for 30 days. Okay, I can endure for 30 days. 30 days and then all things are better. What if he said six months? Okay, I can deal with six months is stretching it, Lord, but I don't know. That hurts a little more. How about forever? I see a lot of people in the Christian world, in the Christian realm that say, if that's how God's going to treat me, I want nothing to do with him. As if God is at fault. Shame on us if all of a sudden that our sorrow and our weakness that he is trying to use to boast about himself, that we become prideful and say, how dare you give this to me? Paul says a man who had received a vision 14 years ago, but Paul was an example of perseverance in the life of of this ministry team. Through insults, heartaches, persecution. You know where he starts? I think this is fascinating. He says, let me boast of my weaknesses in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 30 and 31. He said, I know a man who, in a sense, was so weak, and people were after him, he had to be let down in the middle of the night in a basket to escape Damascus. Wow, that's the picture of strength, isn't it? Get in there, Paul. Jump in. we got to lower you down. Paul said, I was running for my life. I don't know too many people. When, if, you were, if I were to be given that kind of picture of ministry, you're going to be let down in a bucket. People are going to stone you. Okay, where do I sign up? Uh, you wouldn't sign up for it. But you think about the weaknesses and the, frust- and the struggles that you and I face. If we knew that about what was going on in our life, how many times that we would back away instead of moving forward? God graciously doesn't reveal all the challenges that we will face at any one particular time. Aren't you happy that he does that? You would be so overwhelmed. I would be so overwhelmed. He does this so that, so that we can persevere. It helps us answer the kind of Uh, work that God was doing and the concern that God had for Paul. Notice this, if if it was going to last a lifetime and need a lifetime of perseverance, that means that a God, his God would be with him through the entire lifetime of the struggle. That's partly what Paul is trying to express. 
You have a God who will walk through this with you. It is, I love how one author puts it. He says, the the deflation of pride is God's distinctive work, while the infliction of suffering is Satan's distinctive work. God is always trying to root out pride in the midst of our lives. It comes in many ways, in many shapes. It's manifested in many forms. But we all possess it. Sometimes pride comes out in anger and fear and worry. Sometimes it comes out in explosions. Sometimes it comes out in the hidden moments of your life as you sit alone in your room wondering if anybody cares about you. In pity, you decide to say to yourself, there's no reason to go on. Can I tell you there is reason? There is reason to go on. Because it is your very weakness that God desires to display his most incredible power. But you've got to persevere. You can't get to the point and say, you know what, I I can't do this anymore. Another question that simply comes right out of the text is not only how long was the thorn there, but what was it? Now, I don't know if I can suffice all of the particular perspectives that would have come out for what this thorn is. No one seems to uh, really gravitate. There's a lot of variety of perspective of what the thorn is. So I'm going to give you a few choices this morning, but I'll tell you where I'll land even before I give you the choices. Okay? I am of the persuasion that most of what Paul dealt with in his thorn was a thorn, get this in the text, in the flesh, meaning some level of physical difficulty, physical malady, something that he carried with him that was constantly uh, agonizing to him. It was a, it was a thorn in the flesh. It was a, a messenger from Satan. I look at this very similar to what God did in the life of Job in Job chapter 1, when all of a sudden God says, go ahead, touch him with a level of infirmities. And Satan is saying to him, oh yeah, you're protecting him. And God says, watch this. Watch within his weakness how he displays my power and glory. I think that same kind of mentality is going on here. And Paul is allowed by a messenger of Satan to inflict Paul with some physical sense of of difficulty in his own body. It's hard to know exactly what that physical difficulty may have been. That's where I land. You don't have to land there. But that's where I'm at, just so that you're aware of it. Others may say it's a level of spiritual or psychological anxiety expressed from a level of Paul's heartache, from the anguish of the churches and the ministry experiences that he has had. That somehow the messenger of Satan was constantly psychologically reminding him, look, you can't do this. You can't do this. You're just going to fail at all these things as an apostle. Some level of physical or psychological anguish. Or others might even say this. This is also a very uh, popular perspective that the thorn in the flesh was not a particular spiritual physical malady, but an opposition. Uh, uh, Those who were opponents of him. I.e. meaning the thorn in the flesh is equal to the super apostles who were inflating their ego in front of the Corinthian church. And Paul would experience what the Corinthian church was saying to them and he says, why does God give this thorny people to me? Some of the reasons why people come up to this conclusion is because if you go back and, and look at Numbers chapter 33, 
that God said to the people of Israel as they were going into into the promised land. He said, if you don't wipe out these people, they will become a thorn in your side. So there's some different trajectory. And the third one, obviously, that I've already tipped my hand of where I'm at, which is a physical malady, a physical problem. Some think fever. Some think uh, a defective vision. Some think levels of migraine headaches. Whatever it was, Paul didn't seem fit to tell us exactly. So I think that what, what he could highlight was whatever personal, physical anguish was impressed upon his own soul through his ministry, that he was, his strength was drawn from recognizing his own weakness, whatever that weakness happened to be physically, that constantly reminded him of his frailty here on earth as he ministered. So that Paul could say, when he left the town and, and scores of people came to Christ and he set up elders in a community and a church was established, Paul didn't walk away going, another job done. Somebody from the team pat me on the back, quick, before we get to the next town. That's not what he was doing. It's so that he walked away and he said, God, you are amazing. You are glorified. Now, part of the reason of this, I I, I connect less with the opponents, is primarily because, uh, and lean more towards a physical malady, was because of the timing of, of when this thorn in the flesh would have been given. It wasn't given in subsequent reality of the super apostles in the Corinthian church. It was given as a result of his surpassing revelation of the greatness of God. And now he had been living with it the lifetime of his ministry and would continue to go on doing so. He even describes it here. A a messenger of Satan, literally. An angel of Satan. Yes, they're active. They take part. But did did you get this? They can never touch Paul with, without God allowing it. Please grab a hold of that. There is nothing that Satan or his demonic oppressors can do to you that first doesn't come through God so that God can say, as he often said in various circumstances, watch the power in weakness that comes from my children who I've adopted into my family in a way that you hold no sway over. God is constantly doing that. A messenger of Satan to harass me. This word uh, in, the, in the Greek language is literally to hit with a closed fist. So if you want to think about the mental imagery that Paul is describing, is he's saying this physical malady is beating me up inside. That's what he's saying. It gives me such personal anguish that I have to struggle as if it's beating me up from the inside. And, I'm, and he's doing this so that I'm helped instead of being hurt. If Paul wouldn't have kept his mind on what God was trying to accomplish in him, which I think is quite fascinating, is that Paul seemed to understand why God would have given this to him. Because he's expressing it to us. He seems to be very aware of his weakness. Can I tell you this? Whatever weakness that was, you and I experience weakness in our life, do we not? Do you not experience weakness this week when you weren't all that you should be? You weren't the husband, the father, the parent, the worker, the friend. When you are weak, 
then you have the opportunity to be strong. And Paul is simply praying to God. Notice this. He says, I pleaded with him. If you had something going on from the inside and it was beating you up that severely, and you you could think to yourself, I'm not going to get any reprieve from this. I think you'd be praying. That's exactly what Paul does. And keep note of this. It's not wrong to pray for the removal of physical pain. It's not wrong to say, God, please take this physical difficulty, this experience, or this anguish. Because you notice this. Do you notice when you have physical weakness that causes you a level of pain, that also accompanies with it a level of, of temptation, of how you're going to think about it, how, what you're going to carry within you when you wake up that next day, I mean, I wonder if sometimes, like, Paul would wake up at the campfire, you know, next morning. Oh, here we go again. Like, how many times we feel that way in our own weak lives? Okay, God, I'm going to do it again, but i got to do it with your help. Stop for a moment before you open your eyes and get out of bed. You know, as you're just getting there, saying, God, I need you today. I am weak. But when I'm weak, you are strong. Strengthen me to be the person that you desire me to be. He, keep, and he kept pleading with the Lord. I love the expression of this because as we, as we think about it in the life uh, of Jesus' ministry, he uses this word, uh, this, this language of pleading and calling out to a higher power above himself. And, for, and, for, and, and clearly this was God. This was the same perspective uh, that Jesus displayed when he, he pleaded in Matthew 26, 53, when, when he was betrayed by Judas in the garden, kissed on the cheek, and, and Peter pulls out his sword and he, and he slices off one of the, the, the guard's ears. And, he, and, and Jesus says to him, Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? He says, If I appeal to the Heavenly Father, he will come to me if that's what his plan is. Paul recognizes that plea, and he walks through this. Quickly, here's just some important, I think, principles of prayer. It reminds us of our our dependency, doesn't it? Pray. Be a person of prayer. Call out to God in your time of need. Don't say, ah, he doesn't want to hear from me. God loves to hear from his children. Make sure that you're praying for his will and not your own to be done. Be willing to accept God's answer, whatever that answer might be. He says now, he says, Paul continues in the passage, he said, it demonstrates God's care for him. Notice this, he said, but he said to me, here's your answer, Paul. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may live in me. Now, why was God's answer so difficult for Paul to hear? Have you ever thought about that? It's like, I plead with him to take away the thing that is most painful to me. And God says, my grace is sufficient for you. So he doesn't take away, but he highlights what he's given. And that's what often happens in the midst of our pain. Is we fail to recognize the very things that have been given to us already that we ought to be boasting in, and instead we all of a sudden end up in pity and uh, worry and fear and shame. God wants us 
to highlight his power. He does it through our weakness. I mean, I don't think we, we I mean, think about this. I, I remember talking to my son one day, and uh, uh, he was commenting to me as he went to school, and we were dropping kids off, and they were driving in the parking lot, and you see all these kids pull up in these really nice vehicles. And he says to me, Dad, do you know that so-and-so's dad just bought him this incredible new vehicle? And I could see what's kind of being hinted at. Like, hey, Dad, you love me, right? I mean, his dad loved him. And my answer is like, son, you never have to worry about grappling with that perspective. I'm going to save you from it. Because I will never buy that for you, ever. Wipe it out of your mind. I'm going to buy you a junker. So that by the time that you experience this really nice car, you sit in there and you go, I remember what I used to drive. It's not the answer you'd want. It's not the answer you'd expect. And that's the struggle Paul had. He expected, God, please just take this away. And then God answers him, my grace is sufficient for you. Could there be something more precious to the believer than this grace? There could be nothing more powerful, more, more incredible, more extraordinary than a God who can change people who are prideful from the inside out. No one can do that. Grace is the one thing that sets the Christian faith apart from all other religions in the world who seem so adamant on, on, on having systems of thought that project people into a variety of works so that they can say, look at me. That's what they are, a bunch of false perspectives, graceless endeavors. And if you're here this morning and you're just grappling with, should I even think in my, my mind that these are a possibility to believe? You would be choosing a system that is graceless. The only grace that we will ever experience is the grace that we experience through the love of the Son who was sent by the Father, who transformed the life of His people so that they could exalt Him. Our frailty has to be worked out in, in ways like this. This is where our weakness is demonstrated and, and displays the power what happens when all of a sudden you can't have a child? Will you boast in your weakness? What happens when you've lost a child or a loved one that you care about so much? Will you boast then? What happens when somebody experiences COVID-19 and suffers in ways that you can't stop? What happens when all of a sudden you go into ministry and ministry is everything you thought it wouldn't be? And people are criticizing you and sending you emails and giving you stuff and saying, you know what, I'm like, I didn't sign up for this. Will you boast in your weakness then? Because men, if you're going into ministry and you're here and you're, and, and you're thinking that that's partly your path, you better learn to boast in your weakness. Because to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ is not going to take a strong person. It's going to take a weak one. A weak individual who recognizes his frailty. When you break up with someone you thought you would marry, when you don't get accepted to the school that you thought you would be, when you're not playing on the team you thought you would be, your spouse decides to leave, when your child doesn't accept Christ and decides to prodigal and go their own way, will you boast 
and the weaknesses that you have to experience so that the power of God can be displayed in you. Paul seemed to be able to do this and that his character was absolutely magnificent. Notice right at the end, he says, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I love this. I will gladly do it. Christians, there are things that we are forced to do that we feel that feels more like duty. And there are those things that we get to experience in the Christian life that we find delight in. We must delight in our weaknesses, Paul is saying. Because what is at stake is that the power of God's display is, is, is at stake and is at work within us. He says, I will gladly boast all the more of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. What does it look like then? What does it continue to look like? It means this. God, you are able. I am not. God, I am unable to save my, my children, my loved ones, my family, my coworkers, my neighbor down the street. I cannot save, but you can. I'm unable to be the husband or wife or mom or dad or single parent or friend or faithful church member or professor or coworker without the power of God's sufficient grace. I'm unable to find contentment, satisfaction, joy, purpose, love, and peace without recognizing my weakness and the joy of His all-sufficient grace so that His power can be put on display through me. Where did that lead Paul? Did you notice, did you notice this, that it, le- it left him here? Right at the end. I am content with weaknesses. Christian brothers, sisters, can you say that? Can you say that in your weaknesses right now? The experiences that you have, the heartache that you face, the change that's going on in your life, can you say, I am content? Paul went through such great work in Philippians 4 and take that with you when he says, I have learned in whatsoever state I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. Do you get this last part of that, that verse in context? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's not the, the battle cry of a team that goes out before their sports endeavor. That is the cry of the Christian who boasts in their weaknesses and says, I am content because he can do all things through Christ. He can do that in my life. And Paul simply, he closes us, he he continues to move us in this way. In 2 Corinthians 13, here's how he closes. He says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Christians, God intends for you and I to be portraits of his power working through this framework of frailty. So what does it take? What does it take, God, to to do to, to make weak people strong? You know what it takes? Grace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that both saves and sustains through the lifetime of your journey of faith. How does it help the believer? Is because you see the greatest genuineness of your faith through adversity. You see who you really are when trials come and pain and suffering occurs so that you can see yourself 
And you can see what you really believe, what you really love, and the choices you really need to make. Because what's at stake? What's at stake is your demonstration and display of the power of God. And if we embrace this mentality, we should go out and boast in our weakness so that the power of God can be seen in each one of our lives. And as we go out in our community, they can say, wow, those people from Palmetto Baptist Church boast in their weakness. Of all people that I have met, those people are so strong but are so weak. And the power of God is displayed in them. Let's ask him to help us to be those kinds of people.